0: Well, good morning, church. It's good to be gathered again. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of 1 John. We're going to continue to worship the Lord as we explore his word together. We'll be in the book of 1 John, chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. We're continuing in a series called Love One Another. And before we, we jump in, let's Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege it is to be gathered together this morning. It is a privilege. We ask that, Lord, as we hear your word, that we would, uh, Lord, have just an openness, that that we'd be open to, Lord, you doing a work in us through your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who leads us into truth, who brings clarity, uh, Lord, who, who turns the lights on and helps us to see. We thank you that your spirit is present with us right now here in this place. So Lord, we pray that we'd be uh, just open to, to Lord you doing your work in us through your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. What friend would watch you buy into a lie and say nothing about it? What parent would watch their child walk into a a situation where they're being deceived and not warn their child. The Apostle John is like a good friend and a faithful parent. And he's setting out to warn and equip a church that he loves dearly about the biggest lie of all time. And see, the Apostle John knows that they have already heard and received everything that they need, everything that they need in order to stand against this lie but he wants to make sure that they know it too. With that in mind, let's look at First John chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. We'll pause there. Uh, three things I pray we see really that the Apostle John set, set out to accomplish here in this brief text. He set out to warn this dear church that he loves. He set out to define the greatest lie of all time and he set out to equip. So first, warn. He's warning them that the deceivers are against what defines you. Now, that's his warning, essentially. But he begins, he calls them dear children. Dear children is an expression of affection and love. He's not looking down on them. He's caring for them. In verse 18, goes on, and it's just filled with things that cause me personally to stop and think, hey now, What's he saying here? He's talking about the last hour and the Antichrist and many Antichrists. What's he talking about? He he talks about the last hour, which is another way of saying the last days or the last times. The last days are now. The, The last day is still to come. The Apostle John understood the times that he lived in, and we should understand the times that we live in. You know, people have asked me, Darren, are are we in the last days? When is Jesus coming back? When is he returning? And my response is always the same. Well, we're one day closer than we were yesterday to the return of Christ. We, We are in the last days. We are experiencing the last hour. John lived in between the time of Christ's ascension and Christ's return. And so do we. That's the last hour the last days. And then he introduces us to a figure that he calls Antichrist. And he says it's coming. And we can learn more about this figure in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, which describes this one as the man of lawlessness or a man of sin. And listen, people have tried to identify this figure who personifies evil and who opposes God, but we need to be careful that we don't let this distract us from what John is really getting at. He talks about one who is the Antichrist, but then he goes on to talk about many Antichrists. John's concerned with the many Antichrists that are present right then and there. And so he mentions that they went out from us, but they were not of us. He's saying, this is happening right here, right now, and I want you to be aware of it. I don't want you to be unaware of what's happening right here and right now. We knew this would happen, and it's happening. Well, how did John know that this would happen? Jesus forewarned John and us that it would happen. Look with me in the book of Mark, chapter 13. Mark 13, verse 22, Jesus says, For false Christs and false prophets, plural, will arise and perform signs and wonders, and here's their, here's their goal, to lead astray if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. John is aware of what's happening. He knew it would happen. And and he, he uses a play on words here. I think it's important for us to see back in 1 John. John says that many antichrists have come. Literally what he's saying is there are many anti-anointed one people who have come. These are anti-anointed one people and they're part of an anti-anointed one movement. That's what he's getting at. And then in verse 20 he says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One. You are the anointed ones, anointed by the Holy One, by Jesus. In the book of John chapter 6, John calls Jesus the Holy One. So he's saying, what's he saying? He's warning them by comparing and contrasting the anti-anointed one people with the anointed people of God. Anti, it means against. It means opposite or false. Christ, anti-Christ. Christ means Messiah. It's not Jesus' last name, it's a title. He's not Mr. Christ. He is Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the promised anointed one, the anointed one, the king. He's the one we've been waiting for. He's the anointed one. Now, what's up with this anointed one language? Well, people and objects throughout Israel's history were anointed with oil, marking them off for God's special use. They were set apart. If you read the Old Testament, you see this. Uh, Objects within the temple were anointed with oil at times, set apart. Priests were anointed. Kings, if you remember uh, the prophet Samuel, when uh, he anointed King David, putting him in place, putting him in office, anointing him with oil, setting him apart for God's special use. That's what this word gets at. Jesus, though, is the anointed one. Jesus is the one the prophets spoke of. Jesus is the one that everyone was hoping for. Jesus is the anointed one, the chosen one of God, the one who is set apart for God's unique purpose. He is the king. And Jesus' followers are anointed by Jesus, not with oil, but with the Holy Spirit. And so John is saying these anti-anointed one people, they're Antichrist anti-anointed one people, they might be saying that they found a deeper teaching or they have some enlightenment or some deeper knowledge and they pulled away from the anointed one. But you are anointed. You are the set-apart people of God. And that's how he begins this warning. Now, the political and spiritual climate of first century uh, Judaism was a hot mess And so it was just full of people and movements claiming God was acting through their particular movement or their particular leader. It was true then, it's true now, of cults and false religions. People claiming that their movement or their particular leader has the answer. But what do they all have in common? Back in John's day and in our day, they downgrade Jesus. They move away from the centrality of who Jesus is, his person And his work. They minimize Jesus. And that's where John is going with this. He says basically that this anti-anointed one movement, these anti-anointed one people are against the one who defines you. You're the anointed of God. You're set apart by the anointed one. And these people, they're against the one who defines you. And they're having this corrupting and dangerous influence on the ones you love. I want you to know what's going on, and I want you to know how to stand against them because they're chipping away at the very foundation that you stand on. And in verse 19, he says, if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. This speaks of the importance of perseverance. You might have heard of the perseverance of the saints, perseverance of, of those who are in Christ, those who press in and press on to the end, to the end, who don't turn away uh, to, to, to the side, who don't uh, you know, shrink back. It shows that they, they truly know Christ. So essentially John is saying, listen, yeah, they, they looked the part for a while, but it's clear it wasn't legit. You know, you can look the part. You can talk the talk. You can know all the right language. You can study systematic theology or biblical theology. You can, you can tell me about the story of redemption. You can teach Sunday school class. You can lead a house group. You can be devoted week in and week out. You can go on mission trips. You could be a pastor. You can look the part. Appearance is one thing. Perseverance is another. And it's interesting because John is writing this letter uh, because he wants to bring assurance to the church. He wants to help warn them, but he 's bringing assurance. And if you remember earlier in the letter, he 's been warning them um, and, and through these various tests. If you remember the test of obedience. You say you obey, or you say you, you know the Lord, that you have the shared experience with God, that you 're in fellowship with him, then obey Him. And then he, there's the test of love. Oh you say you know God, do you love your brother? Do you love your sister? And here, oh, you say you know him? Are you going to hold on to sound doctrine? Are you going to hold on to truth? Are you going to persevere? Appearance is one thing, perseverance is another. Look with me in 2 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul writes to the church of Corinth, and he he encourages them, challenges them to examine themselves. To really look at themselves and to test whether or not they are actually in Christ. In, in chapter 13, verse 5 uh, of 2 Corinthians, uh, he writes, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Examine yourself. But then he'll go on in another letter to the Philippians and he'll write something like this, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So which is it? Are we to examine ourselves to see if we're in Christ? Or are we sure of this, that he who began a good work will bring it to completion? And the answer is yes. John's helping the church face a tragedy. You think about it. These people aren't just leaving the church to find another church in their city that believes the same thing. These people have left. They they went out from the church. They separated themselves from the church and embraced doctrine, teaching, that was opposed to Christ, that downgraded, that minimized Jesus, his person and his work, that denied him as the true messiah and they were influencing others in their church this is tragic imagine if that happened here if some of you began to embrace convictions or false teaching that was against christ and then you started to lead others in this church down that path we would consider that tragic It, it was it is it happens still And John's helping the church face this tragedy. They abandon core doctrines. They abandon the truth that Jesus himself taught about himself. And so look in verse 20 and 21. Look what he writes. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. And so right away, John is warning them and encouraging them and he's saying and reminding them they are against the very thing that defines you. They are against the anointed one. And second, he goes on to define the greatest lie of all time. Look at verse 22. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? What does it mean to deny that Jesus is the Christ? We already cleared up that Christ is not his... Last name, it's a title. Behind that title, there are a lot uh, of, of implications. I mean, it's 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 important that we understand a denial of Jesus as the Christ, as the Anointed One, is a denial of the person and the work of Jesus, of who He is and what He accomplished. And this kind of denial, uh, it, it's it's ultimately rooted in the father of lies. Jesus calls the Satan the father of lies, and his greatest weapon. Satan's greatest weapon is error masquerading as truth. A little lie to get you off track. You know, if if someone is buying into a lie or deceived and they're setting out to deceive others, they are not going to hold up a sign and say, watch out for me, I'm a deceiver. Don't listen to what I have to say. In fact, they themselves are embracing um, thoughts and ideas that they're deceived by. We need to be on guard. Early forms of Gnosticism, many people believe, were impacting the Church of John's day, and and they believe things like, well, the divine Christ came down on the man Jesus at his baptism but then departed when he was on the cross. You might say, "Okay, wait, what?" Okay, so the divine Christ came upon the man Jesus at his baptism but then left him uh, when he was on the cross. You might say, "Okay, what's the big deal?" It's a big deal. And it was false teachings like this that distorted the truth about Jesus from the start. To deny that Jesus is the Christ is to deny his incarnation. It is to deny that he is truly God's chosen. It is to deny his full divinity and full humanity. It is to deny his work on the cross and the sufficiency of his atoning sacrifice. Furthermore, the Father sent the Son and testifies about the Son, so to deny the Son is to deny the Father and call him a liar. And so here are these false teachers, those who had come out from the church itself but had begun to embrace false doctrine and things that just weren't true about Jesus they were saying there's something more there's something new there's a new revelation there's a a new enlightenment that you can have new knowledge a denial of Jesus a minimizing of Jesus's work but God has revealed himself definitively through Jesus I could turn to a number of passages to highlight this point. Look with me to Hebrew, uh, 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 at Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. It says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Colossians will go on to say that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. God has revealed himself definitively in Jesus the Christ, the anointed, God has brought salvation definitively through Jesus, the anointed one. In verse 23 of 1 John 2, it presents the devastating consequences of denying Jesus as the Christ. You lose the son, you lose the father. But he says, listen, you know the truth. Verse 21, you know the truth, you have knowledge. And that truth, John knew, was embodied in a person, Jesus Look with me in John, the book of John, chapter 14, where we have two disciples who ask questions that we probably would have asked if we were there. In John chapter 14, Jesus is just wrapped up saying, listen, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'll come and I'll take you there. And where I am, you may be also. And you know the way uh, where I'm going. And then Thomas is like, um, actually, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus answers Thomas in John 14, verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. But well, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. And then Philip raises his hand. Um, excuse me, Jesus? Believe, in, uh, uh, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or, or else believe on account of the works themselves. And so we see that the Father and the Son are one. Distinct yet one. You see the Son, you see the Father. A denial of the Son is a denial of the Father. And, and so my question to us is, and you might say, man, this is simple. Darren, okay, They're denying that Jesus is the Christ. We get it. That's the biggest lie of all time. It is the biggest lie of all time. Are you watching out for that lie and how it may influence you here and now? Are you watching out for beliefs in your own life that threaten to push Jesus to the sidelines? Are you watching out for beliefs that downgrade or minimize Jesus in your eyes? I'm serious now. Just as serious as John was setting out to warn people he loves I am warning people that I love of something you can fall prey to, of beginning to embrace beliefs that slowly shift you away from the supremacy and from the person and the work of Jesus. You start to look to other things to satisfy. And it could come from a number of different places. It could come from your own struggle with sin. And you think, man, uh, I just keep struggling. I keep struggling. You, You start to doubt the sufficiency of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf. And you start to pull away from Jesus and begin to embrace other things and try to find answers in other places and shift away from Christ. It could come from a professor or a teacher who, who really looks the part. You know, he's got the sweater and the bow tie, maybe even an accent. could be from Europe. And he's quoting really smart people. But he's equating Jesus with the prophet Muhammad. Minimizing Jesus. Putting him on the same level as a good teacher. Listen. Jesus was not a good teacher if he truly said the things that he said. We can't we can't be content with that. If he was anything, he was a madman. Do you know what he taught? Or he's the son of God. Madman or he's the son of God. People want to put him on the same level as a good as a prophet. Really? What did he prophesy? That he would rise from the dead. A good teacher? He and the Father are one? Blasphemy if it's not true. Are you aware that there are beliefs that could be dropped, kind of bumped into? And if you're just walking about casually, if you're not guarded against these beliefs, then well, they could lead you down a darker path. So finally, we're, we're going to look at the equipping that John brings. And he says, you already have what you need. You have what you need to stand against this lie. And, and he goes into two things that they must remain or abide or dwell in if they're going to stand against and be guarded against this lie. You, basically says, listen, you've, you've already heard what you need and you've already received what you need. Years ago, I received a, uh, a gift at a, at a Christmas gift exchange. It was the Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook. Okay, I love this book. Worst Case Scenario. Things like this. If you've you got to jump out of a three-story building into a dumpster, how do you do it? If you got to jump from a moving car, how do you do it? If you got to survive quicksand or killer bees, you get the point. The point is very helpful for me. (laughs) The point is I read the foreword, and right at the beginning it says, do not attempt anything in this book in real bold font. Do not attempt anything in this book. And I'm thinking to myself, hold up. If I get attacked by a shark... I am going to punch it in the gills or stab it in the eyes just like the book tells me to. I am. Or if I'm in the mountains and there's a mountain lion, I'm going to open up my jacket really big and and try to appear bigger than I am to scare it off because the book told me to. (laughs) The Bible does not come with that foreword. The book of 1 John does not come with that foreword. Do not attempt the things written in this book. John is writing because he is protecting them. He wants, he wants them to apply. He wants them to see what's been given to them for their good. What has been given to them? It says in verse 24, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, what is this? If the message that you heard from the beginning, if what you heard from the beginning, what did they hear from the beginning? They heard about the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. They heard the apostolic preaching about Jesus, who he is, and what he accomplished. They heard the word of God proclaimed about Jesus. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, that's what he's saying. What does abide mean? He says it 24 times in this small letter. Abide means to live deeply, to remain, to dwell, to receive. It means to continue in or commune with. I love that. There are a lot of words that I need to go back and define like all the time. And this is one of them, abide. Jesus talks about abiding. Abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Like, a, like a, a branch on the vine, right? That's how Jesus speaks in John 15. This is the language that Jesus used, and it's the language that his disciple is using as well in John. Live deeply, dwell, continue in, commune with. This is the opposite of a surface knowledge of Jesus. This is the opposite of just this, considering your your walk with Christ like a weekend fling. Like I'm going to go celebrate Jesus on the weekend, uh, but the rest of my week, it's kind of like, yeah, I'm doing my thing. It's the opposite of that. This is communion. This is relationship. This is fellowship. This is dwelling. This is abiding. And and that's what John is, is telling us to do in regards to what we've heard from the beginning in regards to the gospel the gospel is not news that we receive just to enter into the kingdom of God and be a, a follower of Jesus. It's news that we, we do believe and receive to enter, but then also to live and to continue on in our walk with the Lord. It's news that we continue to proclaim to ourselves and celebrate. It's news that centers us again and again. It's news that I need to preach to myself. It's news that we, we celebrate when we partake of communion together. Why do we do this why do we break bread and drink juice to remind us of the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf? To celebrate it again and again and again because that's the story my life revolves around and my life is anchored in. I can't shift from it. I have to abide in it. And in abiding it, in it, what am I doing? I'm fellowshipping with the Lord God. But I'm also standing against the lie. And this is vital. Local church, this is vital for us. The apostolic preaching about Jesus was centered on the reality of who he is and what he accomplished. This must abide in you. The teaching about Jesus, who he is, and what he accomplished. So you all know we're looking for an associate pastor. If you don't, now you do. And we have this process, and we've been interviewing several candidates. And it's, um, it's been good. It's been a lot of work. Please pray. Please pray. The Lord brings the right person. I know he will. There was one candidate that we were interviewing uh, not, not too long ago, and we asked a series of questions, opened it up for him to ask questions uh, of, of me, of, of the church. And he said, hey, what's your greatest struggle in ministry? And I was like, wow, g- good question. And, and one of my greatest struggles is, um, is, is the pain and the sorrow that comes uh, from guys that I ran with hard in, in, in this Christian life of mine and of ministry that have now drifted away from the centrality of Christ, that are essentially uh, casualties to embracing false doctrine. That's one of the hardest things that I face. And then he said, well, what will prevent you from falling prey to that kind of stuff? And I was like, man, I want to be a part of your church. <laughs> I just started crying. No, I didn't cry. I said, okay, good question. What will prevent me? And and my answer to that was worship. Worship will keep me. And what I meant by that is my delight in the Lord Jesus, who he is and what he accomplished, not in front of anybody, but just between he and I, because I'm first a follower of him, that will keep me and has kept me. I continue to look to him and to his work, his finished work on my behalf and I'm humbled by it. And I want it all the days of my life, whether I'm pastoring or not, I want that to be my passion and my joy and my center. That is what's going to keep me. That's what's going to keep us, church. And you'll be tempted to abandon it. You'll be tempted to trade it in. You'll be tempted to walk away from it. And I've always told guys, you know, Guys who we walk with and guys who seem so strong in the faith, and you're like greater men than you have fallen prey to a lot of lies. And it seems so just just a little shift. And all of a sudden they're off course. They buy into more lies. We've got to keep Christ central. He goes on in verse 25, and he talks about a promise that's been made to us by Jesus Himself, and it's the promise of eternal life. Life to come, for sure but life now, experienced here and now, a shared life. John's already talked about this. Shared life, relationship with the living God. And then he mentions the goal of these deceivers, these anti-anointed one people. Their goal is to lead you astray, verse 26. Don't forget that. And John's saying, I am not going to let that happen. I refuse to let that happen. And then in verse 27, he says, the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. What's he talking about? The Holy Spirit. So he's already talked about the word, the message that you heard from the beginning, but now he talks about the anointing that you received from him. So we've got the word and the spirit, the word and the spirit, the word of God, the truth about who Jesus is proclaimed and celebrated, and the spirit, the spirit of truth who leads us into truth. And he's saying protection against the anti-anointed one people is found in the anointing that you received. You are anointed. You have the spirit of the living God with you. It's what we believe as Christians. When we become a follower of Jesus, it, which starts with our recognition that Jesus is the anointed one, he is the Messiah, the king, he's changed our hearts, and he, and he changes our character and our desires. And from that point on, we understand we're the spirit people, anointed people of God, spirit of God present with us, who empowers us to live our faith out And we talk about it as the fruit of the Spirit. Paul talks about it that way. This is the evidence of the Spirit of God in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. These things that are just clear. The Spirit's at work. The Spirit of truth. This is what will protect you from buying into these lies. You've been born of the Spirit, and you're empowered by the Spirit. So you don't need anyone to teach you. Should we just leave right now? You're being taught. And John was writing to these guys. So wait, he's teaching them. And the Spirit actually anoints teachers and preachers. So what is John saying in verse 27 that you don't need anyone to teach you? You don't need the deceivers teaching you a thing. You don't need a thing from those who don't have the Spirit. You don't need any new enlightenment You have the spirit and you can discern truth from error. That's what John is saying. And if the apostle John was standing uh, with me here today, I think he would say something like this to us. People will downgrade the person in the work of Jesus. They will deny it they will dismiss it they will add to it they will disregard it they will twist it they will distort it to meet their own desires and invite you to do the same and like a cancer this lie starts out small but will eventually overtake you and if you're not going to stay the co- if you're going to stay the course you have to abide if you're going to stand against this lie you have to abide remain in him remain and abide in the message that you've received from the beginning and remain and abide and the very spirit who's been given. You have already received what you need to stand against this lie. And John wanted to make sure they knew it. I want to make sure you know that you have what you need to stand against the lie. You do. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have what you need. Are you a follower of Jesus? If not, what is your next move? What are you going to do with this information that you're receiving about Jesus, the anointed one? If you are a follower of Jesus, what's your next move? What are you going to do with this information that there's a great lie that stands against you and everything you're for? Will you abide? Will you abide? That's the question that we need to wrestle with That's the question that John really leaves us with. But we can have assurance as we abide, as we abide, we will stand against that lie. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the truth of your word. Would you just continue to help us to see that, Lord, you have given us all we need to stand against this lie? Help us to really um, practically walk this out by delighting in the message of the gospel in your word, that we would delight in the story of redemption, that we'd celebrate it, that we'd read it, that we'd sing about it, that we would live in response to it, and that we would abide in you in your spirit, that we'd see your presence is with us to carry and walk out this faith that you called us to. We're not alone. Help us to see those things today and walk in it, live in it, abide in it, commune. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Good morning. Such a good reminder for us um, just of what's out there and what the Lord calls for us to do and abiding uh, and being warned of the lies that seek to destroy us. Just a couple of verses I want to read as we close. Um, Jesus is talking here in John fourteen twenty six. He says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. And again, in John 16, verse 13, he says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you things that are to come. As we think about what's going to keep us from believing lies, we hold fast that God has not left us alone, but He's given us His Spirit that lives inside of us, that teaches us and guides us. And so as you go today, my hope and my prayer for you is that you would commune with God through His Spirit that he would begin to convict and guide you into the truth that he has passed on to us and that we are to abide in. Be blessed, church.